Hello and welcome to another episode of Innovation Deciphered. Uh, in this week's episode, we delve into the people side of innovation. We talk about culture, people, the way people approach and think about innovation. We do this with uh, our special guests today, Derek Rees, Chief Executive of SECB, and Sarah Winkless, MBE, Executive Coach and Olympic Bronze Medalist. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's uh, episode and if you'd like to uh, hear more, please do remember to like, subscribe, share today's video and please do comment if you have any questions or queries you'd like us to follow up on. Enjoy. Thank you very much for joining me uh, today on uh, this latest episode of Innovation Deciphered. Um, so today we're going to sort of delve into sort of the people side of innovation, um, sort of a, an area I know that you're both quite passionate about um, and are quite knowledgeable about. So we'll sort of throw that out there now and see how the next 20 minutes go. Um, I think um, it's very easy um, to, to focus too much or not enough the sort of people side of innovation, you know, people versus process or both. Um, I guess if we sort of start there, I mean, what is your opinion, um, sort of Sarah, what's more important? People, process, neither, both? Now you're asking, like, well, I, I develop people for a living, so I'm going to start with the people uh, piece. You have to allow people to have casual collisions, casual thoughts, allow their thinking to become expansive to create innovation. Once you've got new ideas, you need a process because otherwise it just becomes an idea. Mm -hmm. And if it's an idea you want to implement, of course you've got that tension, you've got your creative people and now you have to land it. So mm -hmm. people first, then process. process. Derek, would you agree? Would you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it, it's absolutely about getting the right mix of people within an organisation. Different people have different kind of appetites uh, and skills uh, to innovate and to push things. There's a, there's a comfort, there's a practice. So it's definitely um, getting the right mix of people. Uh, and you definitely need the right organisational culture. Um, otherwise, you, know, you, you can try all that pockets, but you won't have a system if you want. So definitely. Uh, the people are critical at all levels, uh, but absolutely then need the system uh, to then implement. So, um, you know, me and Derek are sort of construction, um, sort of long in the tooth in this industry, but Sarah, obviously you come from more of a sporting background, sort of a professional athlete, um, moved into sort of business and, and coaching. Um, how have you found working in the sort of construction industry with uh, sort of Derek and IFLP? And, do you think construction, was construction more innovative than you thought it was or would be when you first started working with us? Great question. So I had some knowledge of the construction industry, but not a deep knowledge when I started this. And I think being a naive expert really helped me. I could come and listen to what people were thinking, wanting and, and doing. Interestingly, what I have seen is some real pockets of innovation, but also frustration. Mm. There's loads of great examples out there in learning, but as with any business or system, sometimes there's readiness to share and challenge each other. And I want to see that more. Interestingly, if I map that back to sport, way back when we saw Team GB come 33rd in the medal table in 1996, we have one medal which happened to come from my sport, not from me, from uh, Sir Steve Redgrave, you might have heard of him with his mate Matt. Yeah. <laughs> then he got the gold. And that 
ability for those individuals and a few people around to win medals was held in that tight, jealous way. And it was only when Team GB brought teams together in a better way, team leaders together, really encouraged them to start learning from each other, give away their secrets, not because they were going to lose their power, but they were going to become mm. more powerful. And we got the right funding and processes behind. We started to see that team climb up the medal table and the results have been extraordinary. So it's really interesting that you can find pockets in many, many industries. But how do you create, and it's to Derek's point, culture, the culture where there's an abundance mindset. If I share my thoughts and ideas, the system gets better and bigger and therefore there's an abundance, rather than a mindset that says, if I share my thoughts and ideas, you might steal them and therefore I'm going to guard them closely and then the system can't learn as fast. So that's a business model issue. I guess then that we have in the industry is it that makes us that closed culture or a lack of leadership or would you I, well I think there are a number of factors um, absolutely there's a there's the business model because the way typically in our sector we procure is not to enable innovation and you know, the likes of HS2 is a good example where they are specifically procuring for innovation and uh, almost on a match funding basis as I understand it um, so requiring a supplier to put some money but they will put it in as well um, and create the culture whereas lots of other organisations uh, look to uh, dump the risk yeah. rather than enable change. I think our sector uh, is brilliant it's brilliant at solving problems but Sarah as you just said uh, there, are, there are lots and lots of pockets and you, and you can kind of look at the overall system and it's not a great measure but it might give some example. If you look at the uh, R&D tax credit table across all sectors um, I think construction is barely mentioned in the other sectors box at the bottom of that table. We're whatever a nine percent GDP, and yet as a as That's a one and a half percent. Yeah, yeah, it's shockingly poor. Um, not because we're not good at um, creating innovative solutions, because we do it day in day. What we don't do necessarily is have a a system within a, 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 a each organisation and between organisations. And I guess it's it's uh, kind of interesting, Sarah. You're talking about you know, that is sport similar or different. I think when we when you look across and hear stories like that, you realise that our sector it's very easy to beat ourselves up because um, in the, in the productivity tables, uh, you know, the government productivity tables, um, you know, construction is is towards the bottom, and the UK is you know the, 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 the um, uh, productivity compared with most. G7 or G20 company, countries, we're, um, we're also low down. So we're in a kind of seemingly a terrible position, and yet we can do extraordinary things. But it's about um, having that culture, having those, those management systems, looking to other sectors. One, I guess, for reassurance that maybe we're not as bad as we might think we are, or might beat ourselves up. Um, but secondly, because there absolutely are brilliant other ways that people do it. And it's not about replicating those things, it's about learning and applying. So, but if we did it like that, you know, you, know, you look at uh, uh, FinTech or, or retail or any, almost any other place going, they do something quite different. How could we apply that to our sector? Yeah, I think other industries, I mean, in some ways, a bit like what you were talking about, Team GB, there was this intrinsic or need of we've got to be our best and the value is in making ourselves better rather than understanding how if you open that up um, and share and you can all sort of improve and I think that's 
sort of where we're trying to get to but aren't quite there I think as an industry this idea that you know when you share and you help everyone everyone improves and you can still sort of do really well um, there's you know there's no no reason why you couldn't you know you look at things like you know the internet and stuff yeah. like that it's you know it's an open source base that people are continuously sort of building upon learning from and you just create a business model that allows people and organizations to thrive around it um, so I think you, there's loads of different things we should be doing essentially um, and some of that comes down to maybe changing business model certainly sort of that leadership sort of acknowledgement of, of openness and knowledge management I think is sort of the boring topic uh, within innovation at times isn't it but without that understanding of what went well in project A to share with project B to share with project C and that so that incremental improvement when I talk about innovation with people one of the first things um, I talk about is the difference between innovation and invention yeah. um, which I think as an industry we only think of the cool shiny stuff and not so much that incremental improvement yeah. um, I think maybe people are just like that in general aren't they? I think it's interesting because well, you make a really important point there that Ability one to Derek's point and the tax credit are people recognizing what they're doing mm -hmm. as innovative or are they looking for invention? And also, how can we learn from both the successes and the failures? Mm -hmm. So, actually, treating both the same. There's a saying in sport at the moment, which I have to confess I don't agree with, that goes sometimes we win and sometimes we learn. And I'm like, hang on, <laughs> there's a whole load of learning here that you want to. Yeah. to learn from so how do we learn from both situations and then that knowledge management is critical um, how do you put it in a way so it doesn't end up filed in whatever system that you're using it becomes a conversation but, but i guess there's there's a piece that uh secondly we and still are looking at which was if you, if, you, if you look at any project um there are absolutely there are you can learn at the end but normally people are going, all oh, right, that's lovely, yeah, I'm on to the next one. Uh, uh, and what we're trying to do is develop some kind of uh, system uh, that says, you know, early on in the project, what are the first lessons that all the project partners can recognise in this project because they've worked on something similar before or just are insightful on that particular piece? What can you learn and, uh, and capture it? I don't know whether it's 20% into the project or then at 50% of the way through the project and then the last... Uh, maybe 80% of the project, so there's still time to make some kind of rectifications, but capturing that, now whether it's the kind of McKinsey type approach, but we're, as a sector, um, we're not great at that because we're all busy doing, um, uh, but there's also that culture, we've started some conversations around this piece, and um, I would say almost without exception, um, uh, the people we spoke to at a pretty senior level, mm -hmm said, uh, and at a practical level as well, said there's no way I would disclose that I'm where I can see uh, uh, something might go wrong because that might come back at me and think, guys, if we're not all working together and helping to spot those, we'll just keep doing the same. So there's absolutely a culture that says, um, and is it avoidance of litigation or, or, or minimizing that? It's saying, if we don't have the right culture that wants to learn, yeah. want to see the opportunities to improve, and capture that and apply that to, uh, to our projects, then it's just going to be very slow. Well, it's incremental progress. I mean, I, you know, I prefer a revolution than evolution, but 
that evolution, you know, steady progress isn't just as important as those revolutionary steps as well. And I think that um, risk aversion is is our biggest problem mm-hmm. um, as an industry, probably, isn't it? To trying, um, certainly trying revolution, um, but it shouldn't stop us being able to try the the, the evolution, because yeah. um, that should be the the lower risk approach um, towards it. You know, you you think back to um, some of the things that you know Team Sky, David Brailsford, and the likes did when they first sort of revolutionised. Um, cycling, um, a lot of that was sort of data-driven decision making, but they were 1% incremental rule, yeah. and it all sort of came together to be uh, revolutionary. Um, and but it was all about sort of you know understanding how to get the best out of everything, every single part of their supply chain, their people, their processes. You know, the the level of detail that they went into was fascinating. Um, you know, one of the, the most interesting blogs I've <laughs> read. Um, in years was when Chris Froome went one of the final stages um, of the um, uh, the Tour of Spain, whatever that's called, I can't remember, whatever. Um, but it was when he was like 18 minutes behind and then he went and absolutely destroyed everyone. He went crazy, going and, downhill and he yeah, and they, But they had sort of details and you know, how much revs, what his energy output should be, when he should eat and drink, and all of that minute, it was amazing. And he absolutely, and he went and won by you know, 20 odd minutes or something like that, turned it around. But that sort of ethos to, um, to data, to um, detail, is something that I think we struggle with sometimes, and to see the benefit of it. And I think it's interesting because you hear from Chris Froome when he talks about the confidence he had as well that that data was mm. right. So Matt Parker, who was head of marginal gains for British Cycling, it was his job to look at the whole system and find those 1%. He was as t- much of a talisman as David mm. was. And so when you think about an industry, who are your talisman? Who are the people that you can start seeing the minimal viable experiments of it succeed? So I know you're talking revolution, but there's confidence in those fast first steps that we can test and you can win, lose or fail on that point because the risks are smaller. And for me that is really exciting. We've seen it in agile business and we're seeing it in sport and how do you bring it into the construction industry? But, but I think on, on that, uh, evolution is, is critical because yes, we can make some big leaps, but that's not where necessarily the, the, the gains are. And there's also um, the issue that appetite appetite and capacity uh, to, to take, to, is, it, is it about taking risk, is it about innovating, because it may or may not be the same thing. Um, and our sector traditionally has had very low margins, um, and therefore our capacity to, to take the risk might be um, uh, too limited to enable it to have that comfort and that confidence. And the more that yeah, not only an organisation, an individual and a team and an organisation then do try things differently and see some early wins, those, you know, yeah. those incremental gains, then they build that confidence. And when you look um, uh, beyond the organisation into other parts of the sector and yeah. beyond the sector, well, yeah, uh, uh, then you can see that other people are doing it and it didn't hurt as much as you thought it might or actually there's a, there's a significant benefit. And I think that's where this, you know, this innovative future leader programme that we created is there, there are many, many strengths to it, or many, many components, important ingredients, if you want, and one of which is the bringing together people from across the sector. It's mm-hmm. that diversity of thought, mm-hmm. it's that diversity of experience, 
so that when an organisation is trying to do something different, developing their ideas, rather than living in an echo chamber and saying, well, I wonder if, it's absolutely those conversations looking up and down the value chain and saying, if you were my customer or if you were my supplier and, I'm, and I did this, what would that enable or, or hinder you from, mm. from doing? So I think it's absolutely looking, not only looking uh, to import insights from others, um, but seeking to understand the, the impact, the risks uh, and, and benefits to others as well of your own actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I was on the first cohort of, um, of IFLB and it certainly, um, you know, twofold for me, it changed the way I thought about certain things. Um, the, the process, the understanding, um, you know, starting from Kirk on day one, um, where, you know, you almost come in with this um, sort of preordained um, thought that innovation requires sort of, you know, blue sky thinking and, you know, no box or anything like that. Whereas now I'm very much in the camp of innovation with purpose works best. <laughs> innovation trying to solve something works best. Um, and we as Invent, you know, it was there that um, this idea of the process that led us ultimately to um, gain um, the BSI kind mark for innovation management and do a lot of what we do now with innovation management, but also things like is it Anglian water uh, with the health and well-being? Thames water. You know, that was fascinating and we brought some of that back and we sort of, you know, from that um, we've got, you know, Ashlyn and a few of the others about, you know, we created a health and well-being team, a health and well-being strategy and we do lots now that we didn't do and it was that spark of, actually it's not that hard, but it's like to do the incremental stuff, especially for an organisation our size. So it was, you know, it was, I enjoyed the, my whole time on the course, I learned a lot um, and, and we gained a lot, uh, as well as just the connections that we continue to um, sort of, you know, meet up quarterly and stuff like that and I look forward to, to, to carrying on. And, and I saw you learn a lot and make those changes and it's great to hear the things you brought in there, but I saw a way of being that you changed as well and that happened quite early on in our coaching conversations. Can you remember what it was? No. <laughs> it was really interesting because there was, when we first started, there was a pace and an anxiety and a drive that was sometimes, I think, keeping you in beta wavelength task mm -hmm. completion mode. And you started to open up, make mm. sure that you were listening to others, working with others, having faith in others during a time that was really tricky because we were all being thrown into COVID, thrown <laughs> yeah. online. You know, you, I think you were going to be doing a whole load of travelling and suddenly... Yeah, well, I did one of my coaching sessions with you sat um, in Pearson Airport in Toronto. You certainly did. <laughs> and yeah, you, I've, always, I've historically been a head down, get on with it, and you know, everyone slows me down <laughs> type of person. Um, and I think you're right, the coaching and COVID mm -hmm. made everyone have to stop and think and yeah. reassess and try and understand how you can let go of certain things. Um, and that is just generally probably for the industry, isn't it? You know, people are very sort of, you know, this is mine yeah. and I can't let anyone in. And that lack of openness inside leadership at all levels yeah. um, probably hinders innovation, doesn't it? Uh, well, I was going to say, I mean, you mentioned COVID. Um, uh, one that COVID clearly was 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 uh, uh, tragic and traumatic, 
And at the other level, mm. it was extraordinarily helpful because all the, or many of the paradigms that the sector around the world lived in is, well, this is just, this is the way we have to work because that's the way we've always done it. All of a sudden, and it was overnight that uh, people and organisations said, I have no choice but to change, so I will. And I think that um, uh, the government has done it before in the construction sector, I'm sure it has in other sectors too, as given that, that motivation or that, or that license to, to do things differently um, and breaking that paradigm saying, well, that's just, that's the box I have to operate in. All of a sudden, all, all, you know, all bets are off. And, you, know, we, or you can, anything is possible now. Um, and you, know, you will see some regression, you will see some entrenchment in the new way. And I guess what we need to do is, is make sure that we are all um, conscious of uh, rivers of thinking of the way, well, that's just the way we do it. Mm -hmm. um, and making sure that we're constantly, consciously, uh, challenging that thinking and saying, yeah, but why do we procure like mm -hmm. that? Why do we design like that? What if we yeah. did it differently? And it's interesting because the things that ping to me, and I'm going to throw it back to you, I know you're meant to be asking the questions. <laughs> no, no. But we've talked about these small margins, one to two percent. I hear in our programs, we've mm -hmm. talking about this race to the, the bottom, value engineering, mm -hmm. this challenge to come in here. This challenge of sharing, and I'm going to use carefully, the word blame, the blame up and down the supply chain that I see. Construction industry is such an important part of what we need to do on this planet. How do we shift that? What would you, you know, yes, IFLP, we're starting in small groups and we're seeing this amazing group of people, but what more can we do? How can we support? Or if you were to give a wish to your industry, what would it be? Um, well, for me, I think uh, construction has a, a bad PR, almost. Um, you know, we are, from the public perspective, a nuisance, more than people sort of realise that, like you say, we're trying to do good things. Um, I went to uh, an event recently um, about mental health, and there was a, a guy from the Tier 1 there, and so it was part of the Consumer Constructive Scheme. Uh, a project manager has to put their phone number and things like that so that they're easily accessible. Um, this project manager was working sort of in the Midlands on High Speed 2 and was getting sort of 10 death threats a day um, because public opinion don't like the project and don't understand the project. Right. And that's the biggest problem with things like that. You know, you look at, you were talking about how great the Elizabeth Line is. Before it opened, how much did everyone do nothing but complain? about the Elizabeth line. Since it's opened, I've not heard one negative word said about it. Same with um, Stratford. You know, you look at how the Olympics transformed that part of London yeah. for the good. It's created public spaces, social housing, jobs. new housing, loads of jobs. It's amazing. 90% of people probably can't remember how much more it cost than it was supposed <laughs> I, to be the first place. I, I sat on <laughs> the local board. <laughs> but, 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 but I think I think what that points to is um, well, there, there are a number of different elements it brings. One is that people generally don't like change. Uh, yeah, there's, there's there's comfort in familiarity if you want, uh, and whether you know as the general public or, or people within our sector. The, you know, but that road's, I'm, I'm used to going along that because I go past a coffee shop and say hello to whoever it is or whatever it may be. Um, and and uh, uh, Ben, I think you're right, you know, kind of we're not always as good at PR or communication as we could. When we say 
um, yes, there's going to be disruption, but by building this road or this hospital, the difference um, uh, it makes to people's quality of life, the um, the, the radical shift in uh, healthcare provision mm -hmm. because of the quality of the facilities that are there, mm -hmm. that's the piece that we should be better communicating at. And when we're, you know, to attract the, the, the highest caliber of people at whatever function, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the best top pipe fitters or designers or managers, or, doesn't matter, it's across that spectrum. If the more we can communicate the, uh, the massive contribution um, the sector makes to our lives, um, the better. We know that, what is it, 40% I think is of, uh, of carbon emissions come from either the um, uh, built environment process or the facilities that we create. 40% of all, all carbon emissions is massive, so we can make such a difference if we communicate and focus on the end game, on, if you're on the, the value that we add, the, the purpose of the facility rather than just the process. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, a, that's where we really need to focus. Yeah. And we've seen recently how um, you know construction gets stuck in the middle of politics unnecessarily. Um, you know, you look at um, sort of high speed two north of Birmingham and that's mm. been canned now and yes it's expensive but where's the value and where's the loss of value from not doing it? You know, the regeneration of crew and other areas around the UK that it was going to allow um, is lost because of sort of well, sort of public pressure. I think you know, going on a bit of a tangent, but I, you know, I think as a as a country, if we can politically sort of you know move infrastructure decision making away, um, we could do so much more um, up and down the country. That's a completely different <laughs> conversation. Maybe that can be well, the next, next podcast. As well, maybe it should be, but also that's about the PR piece. It's the same mm. story. If a politicians have to be in charge, giving them the right story to tell, mm. being able to hold that PR might be able to hold, have them hold their hand in the fire longer. So, yeah. Yeah, well, particularly given you know, a, a, a politician typically is in post for, I don't know, five years, let's put the facility. Uh, 42 days or something? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember which politician I was. The, um, but, you know, it's a short tenure uh, uh, when put in the context of, of the built environment, you know, we're talking uh, uh, about, you know, how long is the London Underground being around and what have you. And, you know, so, so um, having the right narrative um, to make informed decisions and whether you're a politician or whether you're um, uh, leading a, a, a large corporate or a tiny team, yeah. it's that same, you know, having that narrative, knowing knowing where well, the destination needs to be, the difference it's going to make, um, and, and help and um, inspiring everyone to go, okay, well, I'm, I'm feeling stuck on this bit, but I know where I'm trying to get mm -hmm. to. That, I think, is, is critical, and it allows you to, at whatever level you are, have that confidence to to do something different, because um, uh, if you don't do it once, you'll never get build up that that muscle if you're on that, um, and the and the and the the confidence to look beyond the edge of the pond. I wonder if that other sector is doing something different. They seem to be. If we go back to what I said earlier, that um, construction generally is way down on the productivity um, map. Well, let's look at the other sectors who are higher or, uh, up that map, um, uh, and you know, whether it's sport or. Or, or automotive or whatever it may be, and going, what do they do differently that we could learn mm. from? Uh, and I, you know, I think that the digital revolution that has transformed many sectors, we're getting there, but I think it's absolutely that confidence to try, the change is, is good, 
or, uh, and it doesn't hurt that much, and actually the transformation could be could be amazing. So um, just to sort of wrap things up and finish it off. Um, so if you had to say, uh, tell sort of in an individual or organisation who were keen um, to sort of you know, see how they could become more innovative, other than joining IFLP or um, contacting the event for support and help, uh, which obviously everyone will, uh, what third thing would you suggest that people look at, do, maybe read? Um, you know, where's that nugget for you that someone, where do they start their innovation journey? I'm going to challenge, and it's around time to think. So how do you value your thinking as much as you value your doing until you're working on sticky problems, spending time with the new ones struggling around it, then you're not going to either evolve or evolution or revolution won't yet happen. Derek? I absolutely go with that, creating that thinking time. And I said earlier about the projects we're too busy doing and not enough time thinking and, and pausing. I guess it's, uh, mine would be, I, in, Invert the Thinking, there's a great book um, uh, called Humanocracy. Uh, which, yeah. And it effectively says, rather than the organisation being kind of top down and everyone does what they're told within reason, um, it absolutely inverts the, the organisation and empowers everybody to then uh, constructively challenge the leadership of other teams and say, actually, I think I can do you know, a, a, a better job on that in leading that, that team. Um, so that inversion, that empowering of everyone in the organisation, because everyone, almost without exception, says the, the people at the grassroots uh, you know, um, um, almost always know where, uh, what a better way of doing it. If you look at healthcare, you know, the, the clinical staff absolutely know a better way of doing it, but don't have that, that empowerment. So if you can invert the organisation, empower the, everyone uh, to... Um, own and, and put forward their ideas with that confidence and trust, and to go and look elsewhere, have that time to think at every level. Um, I think that's the thing that makes a real difference. Hmm. I mean, humanocracy is next on my. Uh, it's a great audible. I'm halfway through it. Halfway through it. <laughs> uh, so no, I've, I've heard plenty of people go on about it now. But I've decided. I know. I must must listen to it. Um, so Sarah, Derek, thank you very much for your time you. uh, today. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, so thank you for watching, listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, this latest episode of uh, Innovation Deciphered. Please do remember to like, subscribe and share. And if you'd like to uh, be a guest on one of our uh, future podcasts, please do drop us a line.